2: You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 193, Favorite Fantasy or Dystopian Series. Before we get started, I want to let you all know that we do have a sponsor and partner page on our website. We love to promote bookish businesses that we believe in, and we have a lot of partners who offer some great deals for listeners as well, so you can benefit from those. We also have information on the page about how you can get involved with Unabridged and support us. So if you go to unabridgedpod.com slash partners, you can find out more. All right, to get started, we are going to share our bookish check-ins. Sarah, what are you reading?
0: I am reading, I just started for my book club, my In Real Life book club, Diane Chamberlain's Big Lies in a Small Town. I actually have never read one of her books. My mom and my sister both love her books, but I just have never read them. But then when my book club chose this one, so now I'm reading my first Diane Chamberlain. She's a pretty prolific author. She has a lot of published titles. This one centers, it's alternating perspectives and alternating timeline. So the first timeline is 2018 North Carolina. Morgan is the character. She has been in prison for year for an accident that occurred. But as a reader, we don't know what that is. That's part of the unfurling that's going to happen, I think, as the narrative moves forward. She is approached by two women that come to visit her in prison. She served her minimum sentence and the two women offer her a way to get out and be on parole if she restores this painting of this famous Artist who has passed away. In his will, he has left instructions that in order for the rest of his wealth to be distributed, she has to restore this painting in this two month time span by this artist named Anna. So that's the 2018. Then we're in North Carolina in 1940, and we are with Anna, the artist who was commissioned for this mural that. In 2018, Morgan it has been hired to restore, and we are learning Anna's story. So I'm like I said, just in the beginning. Anna has just gone to she went she wins a national competition to create a mural for a post office in North Carolina. She's from New Jersey. She's just lost her mom, and we're just starting to learn about her life. And you know, I know there's going to be a lot of intersection. We're going to learn about these women and then see what happens. And I think there's going to be a mystery, but I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, I'm only about four chapters in. So far, it has my attention, and I'm enjoying it. So hopefully, hopefully I will enjoy the experience of reading my first Diane Chamberlain. So that is... Diane Chamberlain's Big Lies in a Small Town. Sounds really good. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. It's a compelling setup. I love it
1: when they intersect like that. I always think that's really interesting when storylines weave together in that way. Yes. And I haven't read any of hers either, Sarah. Um, I haven't either. She has
0: a huge catalog of books. And I think, my, like I said, my mom and sister are huge fans. And I think they've read almost everything she's written. But I just, I never have. So Mm it's my first. So we'll see. (laughs) Oh, I hope it's good. I hope so, too. Ashley, how about you? What are you reading?
1: So one of the ones I'm reading right now is Before the Coffee Gets Cold by Toshikazu Kawaguchi. This is a work in translation. So it is written in Japanese and Jeffrey Truselot is the translator into English. And I am absolutely captivated by this story. I'm almost finished. And the premise is that there is a small cafe in Tokyo where people go and they get brewed coffee, but also they have this opportunity to travel back in time. And the way that that happens involves a series of rules. And the rules are pretty cumbersome for the person who wants to do the time travel. And because of that, people are aware of the legend, but most people don't bother to take the opportunity because they can't change the present, There's all these other limitations. It's very complicated to do. And so, because of that, it's more like folklore than active time travel. In the story, there are, we follow the lives of four different people who do take the opportunity to deal with all the rules and they do make the time travel. And it's just really well done. I love the way we get to know the people who work in the cafe. So there are a handful of people who always work there. And of course, they're familiar with this process and aware that some people occasionally who come in do want to time travel and not just drink a cup of coffee. And so there's that that's happening. And then it also explores the idea of what it's worth to learn something about the people you love that you really want to know. So a lot of it is about looking for closure and recognizing that you can't change the way things are, but wanting to come to terms with how they are. And so there's a lot of that and it's explored through these different people's lives. So I am really loving it. I think it's fascinating. And I found out just recently that there is a sequel and I'll definitely read that one as well. And oh, and the title is because you have to drink the coffee before it gets cold to come back to the present. So that's why it's like a very limited window that they can take this travel with all these rules and stipulations. So it's just fascinating. And again, that is Toshikazu Kawaguchi's before the coffee gets cold.
0: That sounds great.
1: Yeah, I am loving it. I mean, I didn't know much about it, but I am really enjoying it.
2: I've seen that one all over bookstagram. And I just, first of all, I love the cover so, so much. I think it's so striking. And yeah, it sounds really good. I definitely want to read that.
0: I'm actually, for my reading challenge, one of my categories is to read a book set in Japan. So I'm very interested.
1: Oh, Sarah, I listened to it on audio and I've really been enjoying it. So you might want to try it on there. I mean, I think it's really great. The only thing I wish I'd paid more attention to at the beginning It is important to know the people, how they connect to each other. So sometimes with audio, the names get a little confusing at first. So I wish I'd paid a little more attention up front about who the different people's names were. That's the only thing going in that I think would be helpful for the listening experience. But the audio is excellent. It's not super long. And I love the story. Very tightly woven. And I think really powerful.
0: Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to check that out.
1: Yeah. Jen, what about you?
2: What are you reading? So I am reading Riley Sager's Survive the Night, and I have read all of Sager's books, and I think that they just keep getting better and better. And this one, the premise, I think, is so intriguing. So spoilers are a danger here, and I've reached the point where there's one thing I can't say, so I'm going to tread very carefully if I sound hesitant. But this is technically historical fiction. It takes place in November
0: 1991. No, And I'm just gonna know. I know that.
2: <laughs> well, the, it is important. I will explain why that's important here in a minute. But the the premise is really intriguing. So Charlie is a college student, and she is preparing to drop out of college. Basically, her roommate Maddie was murdered, and. Charlie has suffered a lot of loss in her life. Her parents were both killed in a car accident when Charlie was a teenager. And she's been living with her grandmother ever since. And she, Maddie is her best friend. And they went out one evening to a club to hear a cover band. And basically, Charlie felt like Maddie, she was hooking up with this guy and was ignoring Charlie. So she starts to go home. Maddie follows her out the door of the club. They have a big fight. And the last words that Charlie says to Maddie are curse words. And then that's the last time she sees her. And she is just having a horrible time recovering. And she feels like she just can't be at school anymore. So she goes to the ride board listing at her college and puts up an ad that says she's looking for a ride home. It's the middle of the week. And she just feels like she has to leave that day. But she also realizes that not a lot of people are going home that in the middle of the week while she's standing at the ride board, this guy comes up and they strike up a conversation and he is getting ready to leave the college and drive. And her stop is on the way to where he's going. So he calls her that evening and they they work out a deal and they're gonna leave at 9 PM. And yeah, it seems it seems great. Well, ever since Maddie died, there have been all of these connections. It's clear that Maddie is the third girl who's been murdered by the same killer they call the campus killer. And there have been all these warnings about things you shouldn't do. And one of them is of course is get in a car with a stranger. And Charlie's very aware of this, but she also just really feels like she needs to leave. So she says goodbye to her boyfriend, Robbie, and gets in the car with this guy. And right away, all of these little red flags start going up and she's convinced that she's just being paranoid because of course her, her roommate was just murdered. But the longer they're in the car together the weirder she starts to feel. Okay, so there are two other important things to know. And then I'm going to stop because I don't want to spoil anything. One important thing to know is because it's 1991, there are no cell phones. So the only way she can get in touch with anyone is if they stop and she can get to a payphone. And yeah, before she got in the car, Robbie kind of joked and he was like, you know, if anything goes wrong, you can just call me and just say, and they have this phrase worked out. And it's all this big joke, but she's like, huh? Do I need to call Robbie? But again, she she thinks she's being paranoid. The other important thing to know is ever since her parents died, movies have been her coping mechanism. So when her parents died and she went to live with her grandmother, she and her grandmother would just watch these classic movies, Hitchcock movie after Hitchcock movie. They would just, that was their way to kind of escape from the world. And after Maddie died, she went into these movies so much that sometimes she loses connection with reality and starts to see the world around her as a movie periodically. So she's never quite sure whether what she's seeing or experiencing is real or is just this movie that's playing in her head. And in a minute, she's going to kind of wake up from it. So that makes her think she's being paranoid even more. And that's where I'm going to stop. It is so, so good. Yeah, it's just, it's an amazing, suspenseful book.
1: I want to read that. That sounds really compelling. I still haven't, speaking of people I haven't read, I still haven't read any of Riley Sager's work. I'd really like to give it a try.
0: I've read several and I've really, i like liked them. They're they're page turners.
2: They are. And I think each one is really, they're all suspenseful. They're all kind of thrillers slash mysteries, but they're all quite different from each other, which I really like. And so I just think it's interesting. This one, as far as I can tell we have flashbacks and things, but it takes place in this one night. It's called Survive the Night and it'll say interior, they're in a grand dam, grand dam and the time. And it's just been a few hours since the book started. So I think that limitation is really interesting when you're going into a book. Anyway, I'm loving it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's, I think you both would really like like it. And Ashley, I think you would like Sager's work. And again, I think he just keeps getting better and better. I think the books just keep improving. So all right, well, we are going to move on to our main discussion. And each of us is going to share a favorite fantasy or dystopian series, or maybe some combination of the two, I would say. So Ashley, what what series would you like to share?
1: A lot came to mind. And it was hard to narrow it down. But I think that there are a couple that I read early on when I first started young adult literature and like reading it really actively as a reader. And there are also a couple that I read them back to back to back. And that experience is for sure what I enjoy the most. So these days, I find that I'm mostly reading series as they come out. And I love that in some ways because I get to participate in all the bookish community buzz, which is really fun and feels celebratory. But then you have to wait for all the other books to come. And so I think sometimes when I think about my favorites, all of them really have that in common that I read them when I could read all parts of it at once. But the one I want to share is actually one that has a recent edition. So that was really fun. And it's Marie Lu's legend series. So originally, this was a trilogy, and it includes Legend, Prodigy, and Champion. But recently, almost 10 years after the first three came out, she released Rebel, and it is Set in a different place, but has a lot of the same characters and is built in the same world, and so that was super fun. So I think part of why I wanted to share it is that I really enjoyed that experience, and so it is it has that nice blend of it's been out a while, it is backlist, but also it has that fresh part that if you are looking for new books, also that Rebel hasn't been out very long and is a great addition to the original series. So this one is about Day. And June and it has alternating perspectives and I'm not going to we have to be careful with these that we don't spoil things it's always hard to talk about series without saying too much so I want to be careful for people who haven't read the first book that don't give away anything that you might you know not want to know going in but basically you have these two main characters and they their perspectives alternate and in the beginning they alternate but they are not intertwined And so what you see is this really tight government control and a state that is working to protect its citizens from this deadly plague. And it's clear that there's been a lot of tumult. And so like a lot of dystopian novels, there's been tumult. And then the government is working to regain stability in society in order to help everybody live more comfortably after... These bad things have happened in the past. And so you really see that in the beginning. And I think what I really love is that both Day and June are amazing characters who want to do the right thing and who want to take care of their families and who want to help and do good but we see up front the ways that the way we understand the world colors what we think is right and wrong and i really love that i think that marie lou explores that so well and shows how somebody can be a good character and yet make choices that are bad because of the way that they understand the world and how that's really shaped by their upbringing i think all of that is just really masterfully done and then also i think maria lee does a really great job of giving commentary on poverty and privilege and how money brings about privilege and so you see a lot of that in the legend series as well that the way that education and money are tied together and how those things bring about opportunity and privilege And so I just think all of that commentary on society and the way that it works is really brilliant. So I love that series. I love Marie Lu. And I think if you haven't read any of her stuff, the Legend series is a great place to start. I second all
2: of those recommendations. Yeah, I love that series
1: so much. It just
2: really holds up. And I think. You don't get the downslide that you get with some YA dystopian series. Yeah. Yes. I,
1: yes, that's true. That that when I think about my top choices, that is a big factor for me. That a lot of them, I really enjoy the first book, but then I get really frustrated with the series. It's hard to maintain momentum. And I think she does that really well in the first trilogy. And then that I loved the fourth book as well. So that was a surprise for that to be added. And I think you can read it and feel complete without that. Additional fourth one, but I love that I felt like the momentum stayed all that time later for Rebel. So, yeah, that's awesome.
2: All right, Sarah, what are you recommending? Well,
0: I love fantasy. I haven't read a ton of fantasy in the last few years, but one of the ones that I read in the last year that I really enjoyed was one that Ashley recommended to me on an episode for recommendations for each other. And that is Danielle Clayton's The Bells series Ashley recommended the first one and like you said Ashley it was that feeling of reading the bells and then being able to go right to the everlasting rose to finish the duology and I'm hoping that she makes it a trilogy because I really do love this world and so what I love about the bells is there is a ton of social commentary layered in This fantasy world. Danielle Clayton's world building skills, they are just amazing. And this follows Camilla Beauregard. She is a Bell, and Bells are women, young women, who are able to make people beautiful, but the beauty wears off after a while. And everyone in the area where they are, they will be great if the Bells don't perform their beauty work for them. And so it becomes a lot of commentary about classism because there are only the very wealthy are able to afford the work that the Bells do. So there's tons on class. There's a lot of commentary on race. And what it means to be different and to not be financially you know wealthy it, I mean there's just a ton layered in, but and I love that, but my favorite is the way that she builds the world. It is totally unique it I mean there are so many cool things that she puts in like teacup monkeys and teacup. <laughs> elephants and it's all it's just even those things are this commentary on taking these these huge beasts and shrinking them down for the kind of the fodder of the wealthy I mean so even those things I just think it's just brilliantly done and it is it is fast-paced it is a page turner and you really want to find out what happens I mean immediately after I finished the first one I downloaded the second one to listen to so I could listen to it I listened to the whole thing in one day while I was doing chores and exercising and all the things. So I just think it's a great YA series. I think if you like fantasy and you are not a YA you're not a you're not in the YA category, I still think you'll love it just like I did. And I think students I always read with that lens of being an English teacher and I think students will love it because it's just so interesting, and I think it provides a lot of opportunity for discussion about things that are, are serious, but it comes in a very palatable package where you're entertained, and you can move through it, and then you can discuss the things that Clayton's trying to say in the book. So I love this series. I thought it was awesome, and that is the Bell series. It's a duology by Danielle Clayton.
2: I have the momentum problem with that one. I loved The Bells. I read that as an e-galley. And then The Everlasting Rose wasn't available right then. And I really want to read it. But because there's been this distance, I just have
0: not prioritized it yet. But, yeah. I think that's the hardest. The hardest. Like, Ashley, Ashley, you talked about that. Just the hardest thing about fantasy is, like, you get in. If you get in early and you have all that fun anticipation and the community that's around it but then you have to wait two years for the next book it's hard to keep all that in so yeah so I really enjoyed that that experience of getting to read them like over a weekend that was awesome
1: mm-hmm. yeah 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 you know I love those <laughs> I know. <laughs> They're so good. And that I do think yeah. you're right that it can be used in the classroom too, which is really nice. And I didn't say that about Marie Lu's work, but definitely we actually taught legend and read it as a read aloud. So not only mm-hmm. did, not only is it teachable and you could have a unit revolving around it, but it was engaging as a read aloud choice. And so, and the students really loved it. So yeah, I like that. I love the ones that are great books and so fun to read as fantasy and or dystopian, but that also hold up for great discussion. Mm -hmm. Same. Jen, what is your
0: recommendation?
2: Well, I feel like I have to do the caveat thing and say favorite, I can never choose a favorite. So I just chose one that I loved and i chose this trilogy because it is different from a lot of other fantasy i've read i've read a ton of fantasy and so i was looking through my goodreads to pick what i wanted to talk about today and i've read actually a lot of fantasy this year but i went back to something that i read last year because nothing else is quite like this so this is sa Chakraborty's the david bot trilogy and the First book is The City of Brass. It is all out now. The other books are The Kingdom of Copper and The Empire of Gold. And I have the momentum problem with this one a little bit as well. I read The City of Brass pretty early and then the next book wasn't out yet. So I just waited until the next two books were out and read them back to back. They are pretty long. So that's one thing. This is not a YA trilogy. This is, I I think it would actually, I was thinking about this. I think it would be fine for teenagers. I do think it's pretty dense with the world building and they are longer books. So that's one thing to consider. But these begin with one character, Nari, who is a thief in 18th century Cairo. And she is an unusually adept thief. And sometimes things just sort of work out for her and she doesn't really know how they work out, but she is just glad because she is living in poverty and that is her only way to basically survive is to steal. So she is in the streets of Cairo one day and she inadvertently summons a djinn. And that is where the fantasy part starts. So we see that she actually has magical abilities that she didn't know she had she and the Jinn are transported into this fantasy realm and they go to the city of brass and the world building is incredibly complex so i cannot possibly convey everything that is in these books here but what i really love about this series is first of all they're shifting perspectives so we start very solidly in nari's perspective but then eventually we get the perspective of the djinn and of the ruling class in the city of brass and we see that there's this deep history behind the way things are now. And that there are these cycles of violence and of oppression that at different times in the history, different classes, different races, different groups have risen and fallen. And then always when they're in power, something happens and they start oppressing other people. So it's, I I just really appreciated that historical lens. I think that's one thing I love about fantasy and dystopian both. I think we all talked about class difficulties and poverty and race. And I think sometimes that distance gives authors the ability to talk about things like history and violence and power structures with a little distance that maybe makes them more acceptable to readers. And I just thought this one was brilliant in the way it used history, placed it in this fantasy realm to ask really deep questions about who has power and why do they have power? And once they get it, what do they do with it? So through, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'm going to remain vague, but through the whole trilogy, you see people who are trying to do the right thing. And then through one miscommunication or one misstep, They end up perpetuating a system that they are trying to fight against, or they go back into their past and they get wrapped up in the wrongs that were done to them and forget about the rights that they're trying to do. I think it's just very much about human nature. The world building is amazing. The covers of the books are so gorgeous. If you can look them up on the computer, they are beautiful and they are intricate. And I felt like in many ways that represented the books themselves, that they are Intricate and beautiful and complicated, but it is a world that is definitely worth diving into. And I will say it's great that the trilogy is finished because that was a big challenge between book one and book two because everything was so intricate. It's one of those books that has a glossary, (laughs) it has the different groups who have ruled over time because it, it was a lot. So I felt like I had to study before I started book two again, but it is well worth it. It's one of those that's so rewarding and I would put the book down and kind of forget that I was in the real world for a few minutes. It's just so, it, you can really immerse yourself in the books. And the characters themselves, even within the world, are also vivid and also nuanced. And I think every character does something really horrible and makes a really bad choice at some point. But because Chakraborty is such a skilled author, you understand why that person made that choice. Even when you know I was screaming in my head a few times at the person not to do that thing. It's a great trilogy. I highly recommend it. Again, they are long, so you want to check out the the length of the books and get ready. I I would recommend reading them back to back, but that is going to be a, a big reading experience. But they are really good. So that's the David Bad trilogy, and it starts with the City of Brass. That sounds really
0: really interesting. Yeah, they are they are wonderful.
1: Yeah, that just that sounds that sounds great, and it does. I like that all of them are out. That makes it. Easier yeah, <laughs> to take the plunge for sure. Cause that when you were describing that, I thought of several that I really enjoyed, but by the time the series finished, I was too far removed to enjoy it as much. Even if the last of the series is still really good, if I'm too far away from it, it's hard to enjoy it as much.
2: Definitely. I do want to put a plug in here. I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but I think it's been a while. Book series recaps is a great website and I almost always have luck with YA fantasy series. They do some adult series as well. They will say, they will give a complete summary of book one in a series, book two in a series. So I use that all the time when I'm diving back into Sarah J. Moss or Cassandra Clare and I'll just be like, okay. And you can either read the whole summary of every single thing that happened in the book or they'll say what happened at the end of the last book. And yeah, that can be really, really helpful. (laughs) (laughs) It's a useful tool for fantasy readers out there. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to end our episode with our Give Me One. And today's topic is how are your bookshelves organized? Sarah, how do you organize your shelves? (laughs) She's making a face.
0: (laughs) My bookshelves are not organized. They're all, I mean, their, their books are on them, but there is no rhyme or reason. And I have no organization whatsoever, which if you've listened to us for a while, you probably are not surprised, but (laughs) that is just the way it is. They're not organized. (laughs) Thanks for, (laughs) thanks for choosing that topic. I, I may have
2: chosen this topic and this may reflect a lot about my personality but this is something I have done and redone over the years. Okay,
1: Ashley, how about you? <laughs> Mine are in the middle of Jen and Sarah probably, and they are organized somewhat, but they're kind of organized by move. So we've moved a lot. And when we moved to Virginia, where we live now, we organize the ones that we have. So those are kind of by genre. Like I have a section for poetry and I have a section for plays and I have a section of anthologies. And then there are ones that are grouped by like within fiction or nonfiction, that kind of thing. So they're basically grouped by genre more or less, I would say. And, but those are both of our books mixed in to a certain extent. A lot of my, of Mahan's books are at his office. And so I don't have, thank goodness, he has like an entire office full of books. So I'm grateful that they're there and not at home. So a lot of them have been pulled over time. But again, that is kind of an accumulation of both of our sets of books. And so when we got to our current house, we did one of Mayhan's goals for our house. He's always wanted to have built-in bookshelves. And so we did that in Virginia, which is really awesome. We're, I'm overseas now, and it is something that I miss. Like I really love those. We have a section that is our records that he really curates and loves. And then we have a lot of our kids' books on one of the shelves. And then One of those shelves I felt like was mine, and I got it for myself, which is the only time I've had that in my adult life, outside of my classroom. And that's the one where I did sort them by red and unred, and then I have them color sorted within the red and unred. So that shelf is kind of different than the rest of the house as far as organization goes, but I did, I've just... Like Jen said, something that I've done and redone for sure, but I've always kind of wanted to do the color sorting and I didn't wanna give up on having them sorted by red and unread. but I was happy with that. So they're kind of rainbow-like going across and the colors make me really happy. So I did try that out. I know some people have really beautifully sorted shelves that are aesthetically pleasing where their whole, all of their books are that way. I can't quite commit to that level, but I have found that within the smaller sections, I enjoy doing that. What about you, Jen? Do you want to share your organizational methods with us?
2: I'm going to prepare my dissertation now. No.
1: So my classroom
2: library books are sorted by genre because I find with students, a lot of times that works better if if they know that they love fantasy. I have a lot of fantasy, I will say at my school. So I can point them to the multiple fantasy shelves. But at my home, so in our bedroom, we have unread books, both my husband and me. He has, I finally broke down a few years ago. For a long time, he was limited to one shelf within the two bookshelves in our bedroom and now he has two, which has caused me to double stack things, but it's fine. And then outside of my bedroom, everything's organized alphabetically with the exception. Some of my husband's, he likes to display. We have some books on display in our living room, but the rest of the house, it starts on the top floor with the A's all the way down to the basement with the Z's and it's organized by author's last name. I've done genre before, but because a lot of books Fall into more than one genre. I found that that was harder to do for me. So I like that in the classroom for student purposes, but for my purposes, I would have these arguments with myself. Well, this is about this, but is it really about that? Is it also this? So I just finally was like, author, author is the way to go at my house. So yeah, and I I will say I love the sorting and resorting. I will probably leave it author for a long time, but I do take great joy in going through my unread shelves and. Resorting the priorities. This is surprises, neither Ashley nor Sarah. <laughs> but I do try to purge periodically, and that gives me an excuse to resort. So that's okay. It's practical. It's fine.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't mention it about we have the shelves and we have the books, but then really the only ones that are getting any movement in my house are the ones in the bedroom. And the, uh-huh. and those are always getting moved around because, like, those are kind of the only ones I actually read, which to be honest, was a bit discouraging. I had that realization not so long ago, and it was a little discouraging to think, oh, I have all these books, (laughs) but really the only ones that I'm picking up and reading are kind of on the front burner, and everything else is just kind of collecting dust in a pretty way, but.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's okay, at least it's pretty. (laughs) All right. Well, we are so glad you joined us for today's discussion. We would love to know what fantasy or dystopian series you would recommend and check back on Monday when you can share how your shelves are organized or not. <laughs> you can check us out at unabridgedpod or unabridgedpod.com. And if you are interested in partnering with us or being a sponsor, go to unabridgedpod.com slash partners. Thanks so much for listening.
1: you have comments or opinions about what you heard today we'd love to hear them you can find us on instagram facebook and twitter at unabridged pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for a list of ways to support us
2: we'd like to thank jared featherstone who composed our theme music strings of light and katie amy of amy photography our podcast photographer thanks for listening to unabridged